Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you all tonight again. There we go. Our scripture reading tonight will be in Isaiah, uh, chapter 33. should be a familiar chapter to you since that's where we were this morning. It'll be Isaiah 33, verse 22. I'll turn to it the same time as you are so that I have a good idea if you're there or not. Um, so as, as you'll remember, if you were here this morning, that this context is about Israel being in a pretty hard place with Assyria attacking them uh, right outside their door, really, uh, coming and threatening them and threatening to uh, tear down everything uh, and being very boastful about it. Uh, but as we saw also, God is not mocked and that he has an answer. He can tell them, even no matter how much Assyria wants to be the ones to destroy Israel, they will not, they will not destroy King Hezekiah. Uh, and God tells him that he will come, he will let righteousness and justice reign. So that's the context, again, uh, for, this, for this chapter. And as we go on from the first part, that was 1 through 6, now we're going on further, and Isaiah widens his view from just being salva Israel's salvation in this time to really got the salvation of God's people in the future forever. So please read with me chapter 33, verse 22 of Isaiah. It says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are this for us. We thank you that you were this for your people back then. And that shows your constancy that you are, are you were, and you will be. And we pray that we would have confidence in that, that as we read the scriptures, that we would believe this is true. Because all these things sound great, but often they, they stick on the page and they don't come into our lives. But we pray that you would show us that you exist and you reward those who earnestly seek you. And you reward us. You love us. We pray this through Christ's name. Amen. So tonight we will look briefly, hopefully, at two points. Point number one is God is identified with his people. Point number two, God will save his people. Again, that's point one. God is identified with his people. And point two, God will save his people. As Renee helpfully point out, pointed out this morning, uh, this chapter is a chapter of hope, really. It is prophecy telling of a time when Syria will be destroyed and Israel won't have a great army outside its door ready to attack and destroy. But Isaiah goes beyond here, as we said, and he doesn't just stop at the threat of Assyria going away. That, he knows that that's not the only problem that Israel has. Enemies will come and go. But he looks... He seeks, speaks of a day when all evil will be destroyed, a day when Zion will be established forever and ever, as if you read right before, it talks about, and will never be in danger, a day when it will be made clear that God is in relationship with his people, that he cares about his people, that he is with them, and no one will be able to tell them otherwise. Now, God is truly with them, it says, and as we read verse uh, 22, it first says, God is our judge, or the Lord is our judge. 
God truly is the judge of the world. We know that. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, uh, no matter who you associate with or what you associate with, there will be a judgment. We know that. To ignore this will only keep you from making things right with God now. But this verse isn't talking about that directly. It's indicating something more specific. That It says the Lord is our judge. That's Israel talking. That's God's people talking. It's the, he's the judge of his people. And that is why they are being punished like this. That is also why they will be rescued one day. You see, judges don't always have to be scary. Sometimes they are. Uh, you might be in court because you're being convicted of a crime. Or you might be in court going to the judge because you want justice from that judge. You want the judge to judge between the, the person who wronged you and yourself. You want him to bring, make things right. And it's the same thing maybe on a lower level with police officers, right? Sometimes you see them and you're driving and you cringe because, oh, now are they going to get me? And then other times, you see him go and pull over the guy who's been going 50 over the speed limit and has been weaving in and out of traffic, and you're like, okay, he's keeping me safe. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he exists. Um, this gives us, a, us a, just a small picture of what God's like, right? Sometimes he's coming to his people, giving them a metaphorical ticket uh, to, to correct them, to discipline them. Other times, he's coming to the rescue, though. I think a related term for this uh, for us today would be father. Sure, God is our judge, but I think it's very related that he is our, also our father because that uh, way that we know God uh, shows that he disciplines us as a father disciplines his child, but he also loves us too, and he, he disciplines because of that love. As I often hear Raymond uh, and other parents say, when, whenever he does have to discipline you, I love you, and I'm doing this because I love you because I want to teach you the consequences of your sin. I want you to go walk in the way of righteousness. Um, maybe you're here today, though, and you're pretty skeptical of this whole God thing, this whole Bible thing, and you think this is just a bunch of words written down by an angry and controlling guy like Isaiah, uh, but the Bible doesn't, and you, you think that the Bible doesn't have any real use. But tell me, does, it, does your heart move a little bit when you think of having a father like God, or an advocate, a judge like, like the God that the Bible describes. Uh, he won't let you get away with murder, but he's there as a dad to help you grow into the image of Christ, into the perfect image, who almost everyone will agree Christ is a very upstanding guy, to say the least. But whether you have a good dad or not, doesn't nature show that this is how things are supposed to be, to have a good father, to have a judge, to have someone who supports I'm not trying to intimidate you, but I know that God has put eternity into the hearts of men, as it says in Proverbs, and I want, you to I want to take every opportunity that I can to let people know that there is something that can be done to fill that void, that need that we feel inside for protection, for help, for forgiveness, and ultimately for God. The second relationship we see in verse 22 is that this, it says the Lord is our lawgiver. Uh, so... Uh, when we see that, now, it might not seem like a great title. We don't really love the, the, the word law, but that's because we have automatically associated the word law with judgment, and it doesn't have to be that way. It was actually seen as a gift to the Israelites. As you look back into the Old Testament, the law was a gift for them. It created a relationship, for one, between them and God, uh, and it also allowed them to actually know God's will. 
other peoples, other nations, their gods, they had to check stuff like omens or do different things to try to figure out what their, their god's opinion was for the day. And to make matters worse, uh, many of those gods were capricious and they changed their minds. And so when things like a famine came or a drought came, they were just completely unaware of what happened. They were like, we have to figure out something. But not so with our God. He gave his law and he said, this is who I am and always will be. And this is how you can be like me. The law was supposed to be a blessing and to create a great nation. God even says that if Israel had followed the law, there would have been no poor in the land. They would have been safe forever and the nations would have come and glorified God because of the great things he had done through the law in them. The law shows us what is required for us and to be in relationship with God. It was meant to be a relationship support, not a way for salvation for Israel. And it sounds cliche to say, but we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. It shows us that we need perfection. And the only one who was perfect, as we know, Sunday school answer, was Jesus Christ, who lived a life in perfect obedience to God's law, uh, fulfilling the letter and the spirit of the law, everything that we couldn't do. He died and fulfilled everything that was written about him. Uh, where do you find yourself today, though? Do you see the law as a list of things, of, of weird commands that really don't make sense and we really don't need to pay attention to? Or are you on the opposite side and think that you have to find every single law and every single way to follow the law completely, perfectly, and uh, if you don't follow it, then you're doomed forever. There's actually a better middle way that the Bible talks about living in Christ. Paul says that it is not the Christian who lives, but Christ who lives in him or her. This makes God's law-giving relationship a good thing because it teaches us that God already sees us as law keepers because he sees Christ's righteousness in us. He sees what Christ did perfectly in his life in us. The law is now useful for us to live in relationship with God because now we pay attention to the law. We do the law. We do these works of righteousness. We, we bear the fruit of the Spirit because we love God, because of how much He loves us. Um, if you haven't trusted in Christ fully, though, for salvation, don't be fooled into thinking there is another way to get into this relationship with God. There, this is it. Christ is all there is. And we see this point even more fully in the third relationship that we see in this verse. It says, he is our king. The Lord is our king. The Israelites lived under God's gracious kingship. And we do too. Back in Israel's time, the king in Israel was not their ultimate king, and they were supposed to know that. It was pretty clear, as we see throughout Israel's history and throughout the prophets, the king was never the true king. It was always supposed that Israel, uh, that the true king was pointing, was God, and that their king was pointing them to uh, God's rule and showing them that God was ruling over them. Living under kingship is what gives God people stability, safety, and purpose. So far, though, we have been shifting pretty fluidly between the terms Israel and Christian, which might be confusing for some people. Uh, but what we see in the New Testament, we see, when we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus, a Jewish man, uh, come onto the scene saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. This should be familiar words for you. We've been in Mark for a while. He called this the gospel because it's a word used to announce a king coming. 
uh, often for the birth of a, a new king or the, when a king takes over. And, but this one, this king, is not just a king. He's the king of all the nations, and he's also God. We see that this king, this God, well, the God, one true God, came in the person of Jesus. He lived a life of perfect obedience and was killed according to God's foreknowledge, according to his plans, so that he could rise and defeat death by forgiveness and then bring into his kingdom anyone who would repent and believe the gospel that he announced right at the beginning of his ministry. Anyone, not just Israel, not just people who are, who are likable, but anyone, anyone who responds in faith. So that is why we can say that even if we are not Jewish, we as people who have trusted in Christ, we can say that he is our, he's our God, that he is our lawgiver, he's our stability, he's our king. We are able to do that all because of Christ's work. I would love, if, if this makes sense to you, well, please come and talk to me. If it doesn't make sense, please also come and talk to me. I would love to go and go through the scripture with you or point you to someone who would go through the scripture with you uh, to show what Christ did and how he's necessitated by all the scriptures um, and how this really ancient book can become real to us today. Very, very briefly, I want to go to point two where it talks about God will save his people. Now that we know that we can be his people, we really want to know how he can save. It's a, what, what did the people of Israel, though, as we go back to them, the, the original context of this verse, what did they need to be saved from? Well, maybe a better question would, would be, what do they need to be saved from that we don't? And I was thinking about this, and there's nothing really that is different about our situations. Uh, we don't need to jump through a bunch of hoops to apply this to today. It's, very, it's a very straight line. Uh, sure, the big threat out there for us is not Assyria or Babylon or some nation coming and attacking us. But we have the same fears. Fears of losing family or home or, and ultimately death. And those nations that were threatening Israel were really there because of their biggest problem, because of our biggest problems, because they and we are slaves to sin if we have not been made right with God they had committed themselves, the people of Israel had committed themselves to God again and again, saying, okay, we'll follow this time, and they broke the law every single time. Uh, their cities were disgusting because of what they allowed to happen to the oppressed. Uh, they kept looking for safety and things that couldn't provide it. Wrong upon wrong, sin upon sin were piling on them. Do you feel the same thing? No matter what your religious background, everyone has a sense of guilt at some time. And what do you do with that guilt? I know I usually try to rationalize what I do and say it wasn't that bad, but that only makes me a worse person because I'm not actually dealing with the root problem with my sin. Uh, there's no way to pay it back, usually, as Lady Macbeth in Shakespeare's uh, famous place famously says, things without all remedy should be without regard. What's done is done. But we must not follow her example. There actually is a remedy. What's done is not done, except in Christ. When he said it is finished, that was when it was done. Um, if you confess with your mouth that says that Jesus is Lord, believe that God raised him from the dead, and he will raise you 
as you come to under his kingship. If you believe that, you can have that resurrection. You can be a new creation now and have eternal life with, with God forever in the life to come. I found no other way to feel the kind of safety uh, from today's enemy and the ultimate enemy of death. I have not found any other way to get true, to truly get the, the burden of guilt off besides finding it in Christ, besides finding it in him who really is the only one who could pay it. No other way than coming into this precious relationship exists. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together to get into your word. It's, it can be very encouraging and very discouraging sometimes. I pray that you, through your spirit, were able to work in the hearts of, the, of everyone here, uh, that it wasn't my words, but it was your spirit who either convicted or consoled whatever was needed today, because you know what is needed. We thank you for being our for our lawgiver, for being our judge, for being our, our king. We pray that you would continue the reign, that you would continue to be who you are, to continue to love us, to continue to help us to love others, to continue to share this gospel, to continue to live in the light of this forgiveness, and to let that be a changed life that brings justice, righteousness, peace, and looks forward to the life to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.